I was raised in the South, and there's a certain people group who have some pretty significant last words, and it's kind of a running joke. Um, and the accidental last words of a certain people group are, uh, here, hold my beer and watch this, y'all. Um, <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. You know these people. And uh, accidental last words, uh, typically, you know, you're, you're kind of like, wow, that's, that's pretty funny because you know what's coming afterwards. But with last words, especially when there's someone who is dying, someone who is laying in a place where it would be considered their deathbed, and they're, they're speaking, <clears throat> knowing they have very little time left, uh, there are many who suggest that the most honest words you will ever speak are on your deathbed. When you are close to dying, the most honest words you will ever say um, come recognizing your own death is coming. And you could have been a liar your whole life, but you will honestly speak in these last moments. Sometimes they're funny words. Sometimes they're bad, you know, hard words. Sometimes they're difficult. Sometimes they're very sad. But what's interesting about last words is we pay attention. We listen. We lean in and we want to hear all that someone might have to say. And um, this morning, I'd love to take a look at three specific words that would be considered last words. Um, and it's actually found in John chapter 19. Jesus has already ridden in victoriously into Jerusalem on a colt, and they threw palm branches down, and they celebrated him, but they already turned on him, demanded him to be crucified. Jesus was drug away, falsely tried, uh, falsely accused, um, swapped out for another prisoner, beaten, shamed, stripped, spat upon, hung on a cross, marched, th- marched through the city, hung on a cross, nails driven in the hands and feet. And he's been on the cross And we come to this point where he speaks some last words. He says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. So he came to do something. Don't don't miss that. He didn't come to just throw words out, but there was a reason, a mission that Jesus was given to accomplish. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. Now, this is just a side note. You can write it down. Psalm 22 is a prophecy and is a predictor of Jesus and the suffering he would walk through. And I know some of you may be visitors, some of you may have been drugged here, some of you may be skeptics. I would encourage you to check out the prophecy and the predictions that a book makes and then see if they come true. There is some street cred to the Bible, and I know we as a society typically like to go, you know what, it's old, so it doesn't matter. Is that necessarily true? I don't think it is. So I would encourage you to look at this. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus comes and walks on this earth, there are predictions about him made in the scripture. Now, I know for some of you that are skeptical and cynical like I am, that that may mean nothing because you know what happens when we recognize it's truth. It means our lives have to come in line with the scripture. I know. I get it. I get the smoke screens. I understand why we do things. But there's some street cred to this statement of, Jesus crying out, I am thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a, on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. Now, I know this is kind of depressing stuff to have to talk about on a day we're supposed to celebrate the resurrection. But see, for me, I never really understood what was included In this statement, it is finished. I understood we celebrated a dead man rising from the grave, and that's an amazing feat, but I didn't really understand what that had anything to do with me, or why that was important, or what was significant about that statement. You see, the resurrection, I mean, if it hasn't happened, Christians should be the first ones 
to head for that door. Paul, when he wrote a letter to a church, uh, the Corinthian church, he said it very honestly. They were arguing and debating about the resurrection, and he said this in, in chapter 15. He said, And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Christians, we should be the first to say, if the resurrection has not happened, we close up shop, we shut the door, we walk home, drink, eat, for tomorrow we die. We should be the first to readily admit that. The world is already saying stuff about the resurrection. But if the resurrection hasn't happened, my faith is greatly impacted. What I live for is greatly impacted. But if the resurrection has happened then there are huge implications that we all must consider. Now, just to clarify, Jesus did not hang on the cross and say, I am finished. He didn't. He didn't stay on the cross and say, they're all finished. In anger and fury over them saying he needed to be crucified. There was a very specific statement, and and it is finished. And yes, Jesus' suffering was now finished. His pain had been brought to a conclusion. But this statement is much bigger than that. And so I guess my question is, what is it? Two letters. Two letters that carry a very significant weight for us to consider. It is finished. What does it mean? Why would Jesus shout, it is finished at this point in history? Why would he not, as a small child, say, it is finished? Because Jesus had a British accent, blonde hair and blue eyes. That's what we know of him, right? Why wouldn't he yell it when he came in the the manger? Why wouldn't he look at Mary and be like, it is finished? Why would he yell it at this moment in time, on the cross, dying? Makes me wonder. I hope it makes you wonder, too. It is finished, and I want to show you a word that it's one word, and it's with three words for us, but it's the word tetelestai. And you have to say it this way. Say it, say it, say it like that. Tetelestai. And it's got to have emotion and gut and feeling and everything about you. But it's the word, and I, I, got a, I have a definition slide for you guys to look up there, but it's, it's a tough one to nail down, and that it means it is finished, it stands finished, and it will always be finished. Meaning that it won't be finished again and it can't be undone. Which is a very interesting phrase to yell from the cross. Now you and I don't know much about this word. We don't use it very often. But in Jesus' day, a servant might say this phrase and use this phrase to a master when they had accomplished the task that they were given. It's finished. A priest would examine an animal, a, a, a sacrificial animal, that it was a spotless lamb. They would examine this animal, and if the animal passed all the, the qualifications, he'd say this word. An artist or a writer, when they would finish a picture or a manuscript, would say, It is finished. But there's another way that it was used among merchants, and that merchant use was debt paid in full. It's taken care of, it's done. Now, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was not dying for his own sins. Jesus was sinless. That's what believers believe. That's what the scriptures teach, that he was without sin. He was tempted in every way that you and I were, but was without sin. 
This is really important because the death of Christ, the life of Christ, is just as important as the death of Christ. Because if Jesus had sinned, he would not have been qualified to be our substitute. If Jesus had sinned, we would be in trouble. Because he would not have been the pure and spotless lamb. The debt that you and I owed is one that you and I... Now, I know you may walk in here, I ain't got no debt to nobody. Well, see, here's the problem. You and I have inherited a debt. It comes from our first parents. You see, Adam and Eve were put in the garden, placed in perfection to walk with God, to know God, to be next to Him, to be near Him, to be close to Him, to know Him. And more importantly, for God to know them, to walk with them. But you see, Adam and Eve were faced with a temptation to say, I don't want to be next to God anymore. I want to be God. And when they were When they were faced with that, they did just what every single one of us would have done. Grasped for that opportunity to be the one who calls the shots. And because of that decision, sin and death have entered the world. And more importantly, separation has happened between us and God. Because the the scripture we see paints a picture of God as holy, that is other, that is different, that is not like you and me. You see, God is is light, He's perfect, in Him there is no darkness. And because this sin problem is wrapped around our DNA, you and I cannot be in his presence without our lives being over because of who he is. You see, the debt that was owed was not Jesus's. It was our debt. God was not content in leaving us separated from him. If you got to go see the story of God last night or Friday night, you saw the rescue plan in action. In fact, the rescue plan says scripturally that it was before the foundations of the world. So it's as if God knew something way before we even come onto the scene. I think he did. But in Genesis chapter 3, you actually see God enact this rescue plan. From the the moment they choose to rebel against him, God's like, I got this. I have a rescue plan in mind. I'm coming for you. Not even your sin is going to keep me from you, but it's going to have to be under my terms. You see, that's what's amazing about God is that He chased after people and invited them to relationship with Him because He loved them. You know, with Israel being captured and, and, and being in Egypt and being slaves, and, and people will ask, well, why would God choose Israel? Well, the Bible says simply because He loved them. <laughs> We have no other reason other than that he loved them. They were the smallest of nations. No one cared about them. There was nothing significant about them. But God said, you're going to be my people. I'm going to rescue you. And in Exodus 1 to 20, it is 20 chapters of the grace of God being poured out on a rebellious people who do not want God. And then God gives them the invitation and says, look, I've rescued you. I want you to be my people. Reflect me to the nations, please. And we know how well that went. The people said, eh. Maybe, Eh, I don't know. And you know, even when God invited the people to reflect him, he knew they wouldn't. So he gave them the gift of sacrifice. He gave them the gift of a spotless lamb being the one to take on the punishment for their sin. The people's sin could have and should have killed them. But God said, no, I'm going to provide for you a substitute and it's going to paint a picture for what is to come. And we see this, but there's a very real difference between the Old Testament spotless lamb and the new testament spotless lamb the old testament spotless lamb could only cover sins they kept having to go back over and over and over and over and the new testament lamb jesus 
we see what His blood does. His blood actually takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist, this crazy man from the wilderness, yells out really loud so everyone can hear about Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a really strange phrase to shout at somebody if they're just a good teacher. That's a really strange phrase to yell out if Jesus just came to give us some rules to follow. That's a really strange phrase to yell out if Jesus is just some prophet. But if he's more, then it's the most accurate phrase and description of the Son of God that we have. I read a story of a pastor uh, who's very cynical and sarcastic like me, and I, I relate to him. And he had just been done at a hard day at church, and he, he, he was given an invitation, and nobody came forward. And so afterwards, a college student comes down and starts to like mess with him a little bit. And he's like, so pastor, what do I have to do to be saved? And the pastor, being cynical, looks at him and is like, it's too late, and goes back to his work. And you could see, you could see that this college student was, was ruffled just a little bit. And the college student says, what do you mean it's too late? Is there nothing I can do to be saved? And this pastor looks back at him and goes, no, it's too late. Jesus has already done everything you need to do to be saved. You just need to believe that. And walks away. That's a frustrating statement, isn't it? It's too late. It's too late for you to do anything because it's already been done. It's frustrating, but it's the most freeing statement that you and I need to hear. What exactly is finished? When Jesus yelled out, it is finished on the cross, we see it being the plan. The rescue plan that God put in motion in Genesis meets its fulfillment in Jesus on the cross. It is finished. All the prophecies spoken about the Messiah, again, I want you and I would challenge you and beg you to consider the Scripture. When something is spoken hundreds of years before someone comes, not just one thing, because that could be coincidence, but when you just look at the hundreds of prophecies about Jesus that have come to pass, there is some street cred to consider. But when Jesus yelled out, it is finished, he met all the requirements and all the prophecies spoken about him. The once for all sacrifice for sin had now been completed. No longer do we sacrifice because Jesus finished it. No longer do we come to a temple to sacrifice. Do we bring spotless lambs? Because we, you know, that would not go over well in Asheville. The point is, Jesus finished it. No more sacrifices because he was the one. The debt owed, the death that you and I deserve to die, Jesus died on our behalf. It has been finished. The wrath of God was not simply calmed down like, whoa, God, calm down. The wrath of God was fully absorbed on Jesus. Jesus took it all, every single drop, so that you and I will never have to taste of it. It is finished. The life that I needed to live, we talked about this in Galatians with our series, was the life that we were designed and created to live was in perfect relationship with God, but because of sin, we chose other things. But Jesus lived that perfect life on our behalf. It is finished. The work to be right with God 
it's finished. Have you considered that at all? Or are you still striving to be made right with God? Jesus said, it is finished. You and I probably have felt the weight lifted when we accomplish a a task list. If you have a honeydew list sitting around the house, if you've got a homework assignment that's looming over you, if you've got all of these projects that you're supposed to finish, this deadline you're supposed to hit, you feel that weight lifted and you're like, ah, I can breathe. But here's the thing. Are we ever really finished? Like really, are we ever finished with just being done with things? We're not. And, and here's kind of the, the, the picture I want to show you. Um, the iPhone. I remember I stepped into the scene about the 3G, all right? Uh, and I remember going, this thing is amazing. If I can just have the 3G, I will be done and have everything I need in life. Oh, wait. Apple keeps coming out with updates. Now, if I could just have the 3GS, everything will be perfect. And I said the same thing all the way to the 6 Plus, just so we're clear. You're never really finished. You're never really settled. I mean, okay, let's take the house, the fixer-upper house. You have the project that you have to do. I mean, list the list. For, first thing on the list. Can we fix the left wall? When we get the left wall fixed, that'll be great. But then the right wall... Oh, and then we got to do this. Then we got to paint this. Then we got to paint this. We, now we have four children and they're destroying it. And they did that to the house. <laughs> you never finished. What about money? Think about, think about money and the lists that you make to try and get more money. That's what we do. That's, that's on the list. Make that money. And uh, one wealthy man was asked, how much money is enough? And his response was classic because it's exactly it. How much money is enough? Just a little bit more. Right? Like, so we're never done. We never arrive. We never get there. And just when you think you have had enough cowbell, you need more cowbell. I know there are some of you who do not get this joke at all, but I'm willing to alienate the many of you so that a few of you get it. You can never have enough cowbell. There's always something to add on, always something to fix up, always something to keep doing. And here's what happens. Jesus truly is the only one who could step back from his task list, take that deep sigh and say, it is finished. He really is. He's the only one who can ever say that statement truer than anyone else. It is finished. Now, I believe because you and I know the reality of never feeling like anything is done, we simply move that to our relationship with Christ, don't we? Our experience keeps us from believing that something can actually be done. Something can actually be finished. And so we just transfer it over into our spiritual life. Can Jesus really have finished it? You know what? Just to be safe, I'm going to fill out as many cards as I can. I'm going to come to a church. I'm going to sing in a choir. Well, thank you, Highland. You don't have a choir, so I can't put that notch in my belt. Well, I'm going to teach Sunday school because that'll get me points with God. Well, thank you, Highland. You don't have Sunday school, so how am I supposed to get a notch in my belt that way? How am I supposed to keep doing stuff to finish the project? Jesus said it is finished. Jesus said it is finished. Now, if there is something for me to do to accomplish and Jesus didn't finish it, then I think our Sunday gatherings need to look a little different. 
If Jesus wasn't strong enough to save, if he's far off and he, didn't, he wasn't able to rescue me, I want the world to know and I want God to know how good I am so our Sunday morning services should be about us. Right? Like, let's just have everybody come up here and just have a microphone and talk about how awesome we are because if it really isn't finished and we need to prove ourselves, then why don't we have a microphone and just all come across the stage talking about how awesome we are because God definitely needs to know and so does everybody else. You see, the problem with not believing that Jesus has finished it is not that we're more noble, it's that we're saying, God, we don't believe you. God, we don't believe that you're capable of saving. God, we don't believe you're strong enough to save us. We'll take things into our own hands. Basically, Christians like to say, Jesus, you finished the start of this spiritual walk. That's what we're saying to him. You finished the start, now it's up to me to finish, finish, finish it. And that's not the truth. Because Jesus said, it is finished. Um, and there's two words I feel like that really help me, me understand that. And that's the words acceptance and approval. Good grief. How much do we do to be accepted and approved by people? See, approval and acceptance are not bad things. Like, I think sometimes we're like, don't ever try to be accepted by people. Don't ever be. No, acceptance and approval were put in us so that we might be accepted and approved by God. But because of sin, we've directed it other places. We're going to other people and other things to find that acceptance and approval. See, acceptance is not just a middle school and high school thing. Adults, you struggle with just as much, if not more. Did you know that? Did you know we struggle with acceptance and approval just as much as our middle schooler? Just as much as our third grader? Just as much as our kindergartner? And to deny that is a problem. You see, we are driven to be accepted. We're also driven for the approval. We want the attaboys. We want the pats on the back. And if those attaboys and those pats on the back don't come, then our worth is in question. Do we have any value? Because I want, I want people to approve me. And see, the danger here is, is we take this acceptance and approval of man and we say it must work the same way with God. And if you've ever tried to live a spiritual life and impress God, you find yourself on your face way more than you do standing tall. And if the acceptance and approval of man is anything like the, is, of God is like what man is, then, then obviously God is disappointed in me and he must not love me. This is the problem with trying to say, Jesus, you didn't finish it. Now, I guess for me, the, the question for the resurrection and why we would talk about this on Resurrection Sunday when we're supposed to be talking about everything that's awesome is because I don't necessarily know if we'll understand the weight of Jesus' words. And in Matthew chapter 9, I feel like this is the picture that we're trying to paint this morning. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought, brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen. 
And they praised God for sending a man with such great authority. See, Jesus knows to tell somebody your sins are forgiven. Anybody can do that. Right? I mean, I could stand here. You could stand here. We could all. There's nothing divine about saying that. Jesus knew the Pharisees were thinking that. So he said, what's easier? To say something or to heal somebody? Jesus says, well, because I can do both, I'm going to. You're forgiven. Get up and walk. See, the resurrection, it's not really divinity for someone to die for someone else. We've seen that before. You know, and if I'm the disciples and Jesus dies on the cross and I'm walking in the midst of those three days of him being in the grave, I'm struggling with everything Jesus said to me. Like Jesus said, my sins are forgiven, but he's dead. Are they still forgiven? Like, what do you think, Peter? What do you think? I don't know. Are we forgiven? Are we good? What else? I don't know what's going on. How do we do this? How do we know? How, do we, how can we be sure? How can we even have any thought? And panic sets in. And then, and thank goodness, Jesus didn't stay dead. See, the resurrection, we celebrate, yes, Jesus coming back. It's the, it's the, it's the cornerstone of our faith. It's a supernatural act. But we celebrate all that it points to being true. That's why we celebrate and we rejoice is because there is no body in a tomb. It's an empty grave. And the weight of that is huge for you and I. In, um, in Romans chapter 1, Paul makes it really clear what the good news is. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. What that means for us is when Peter said, I'm finished, Jesus said, it is finished. Your mistakes no longer define you. Where the disciples said, because of their fear, we're finished, Jesus said, it is finished. My grace is greater than your fear. Where the devil said, this plan is finished, Jesus said, no, it is finished. I will hold tightly those that are mine. Where I have said I'm finished because of my failure, Jesus said, it is finished because of his victory. Where I've said I'm finished because of my sin, Jesus said, it is finished because of his sinlessness. And where I have said I'm finished because I'm exhausted of trying to impress or please God on my own, Jesus said, it is finished. My performance has bought you all the acceptance and approval that you can possibly have with my Father. My work has finished it. Just breathe that in for a second, Highland. Breathe that in, child of God. Consider the weight of it being done. To tell us die, it is finished, it has always been finished, it is, is always going to be finished. If they ever let me like put parentheses in books and dictionaries, they'll never let me do that. But still, if I ever got a say, I would probably put in parentheses to tell us that it is finished. Debt paid in full. Jesus doesn't need your help. That's what I would put in parentheses. Jesus doesn't need your help to save you. His arm is strong enough to save. So as the band comes and we finish this morning... You know, I was looking at some last words of other religious figures because I just wanted to see. I'm like, how different is the gospel really? 
And it's the most different thing the world has ever seen. Um, the last words of um, the last words of the Buddha are really tough to, to track down because it was passed down oral tradition for hundreds and hundreds of years. There have been some interpretations different, and I tried to do my best research to do the best justice that I could. But the final words of the Buddha are very simply this. Work hard to gain your own salvation. Some translations say strive with earnestness, strive on untiringly, work hard to gain your own salvation, do your best. My intention is not to mock our Buddhist friends. The simple fact of the situation is Jesus' last words stand in direct opposition to the last words of the world and to the last word, word, words of the world's religions. That's just the, the simple, plain, clear picture. It is different. And Paul said it in Galatians, this way of faith is very different from the law. And the law is what the world preaches and what world's religions preach. It is finished. If, they, if, they, if, if this is true, these are the three greatest words ever to leave the lips of a human being, only they were powered by the breath of God. I simply believe that to be true. You know, and as a dad, one of the things that I hope for the most for my children isn't success, isn't all the stuff I think that the world wants. One of the greatest things, desires I have as a dad is that my children would believe me. As a dad, it's one of my greatest hopes and, and, and I, my prayers that my kids would just believe me when I say things to them. When I tell them that, yeah, going in the street and playing in the street is a bad idea as a three-year-old, I, I want my kids to desperately understand that I'm telling them the truth. I want my kids to believe me when I say, look, if you have this and this, this idea has really difficult consequences, and I hope you'll believe me when I tell you that. And I feel at some point I'm, I'm tapping in a little bit more to understanding what God desires for us. You see, when God revealed himself to his people, he did not stand over them as a slave master, tell them, do this, do this, do this. He just invited them to believe him. See, God as a father says, I just want you to believe that I'm better than everything else. I just want you to believe that these little g-gods that you're running after will not satisfy. I want you to believe that your choices have consequences and they hurt people or they can cause people to know that they're loved. Man, for my kids to believe me as a dad is one of my greatest hopes and prayers. And it's the way I see God revealing himself to his children, not his servants. He calls us children. So when Jesus said, it is finished, do we believe him? For those of you that have placed your faith in Christ, may today be a reminder that Christ's last words of it is finished are for you. Those of you that are struggling with the to-do list and you want me to give you three things to do now in light of hearing that it is finished, I got one thing for you. Let Jesus be enough. I know that may frustrate you. I know that may not be a to-do list, but the, the, the grace of God is very frustrating to me. It is super frustrating because it doesn't allow me to stand on the leg of my own deeds and my own works. But I stand completely on Christ's finished work. And for those of you this morning that have had your hearts pierced by His Word, let me invite you to consider Romans chapter 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you believe this? Do you believe 
this story. Do you believe that God would pursue you in all of your running, just as we all have, and that he would display his love for you through Christ on the cross and not leave him dead, but raise him from the dead to prove that he has all authority? That's the good news. And so this morning, if you're at a place where you're going, I'm, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't know, I'm not sure, I'm going to be standing over there, and I'd love to talk with you, pray with you. There's going to be some elders and some gel leaders and their wives standing over there. They'd love to receive you and pray with you too. They're not going to make you fill anything out, fill pen, paper, any of that stuff. Very simply, if you need to be prayed for in these moments, please, that's why we journey together. We know we're not meant to do this alone. And so if that would be your heart this morning, respond as the Lord would lead you. Jesus, I ask that in these moments you would be lifted high and that as your people we would say, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. And I thank you that it's so different than the message that the world proclaims. It's unlike anything the world has ever seen and it's why we celebrate the resurrection because your words are true. We don't celebrate just because you rose, but we celebrate because you rose. All the stuff you said and did is true. Thank you. It's in your name we pray.